Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the first Welfare Podcast of 2021. 2020 was quite the year, I'm sure you'll agree. But despite the global pandemic forcing us all to change our lifestyles and our fitness habits, so many of you dug deep and found the motivation to pull on your lycra and enjoy the luxury of going outside. Lockdown one, two and well three has turned us into a nation of runners So a quick hi and welcome to our new friends who are joining us here for the first time this week. And a big welcome back to my loyal crew who I've already shared hours of airtime and runs with. Actually, talking about sharing runs, I've got a few stats about the past year and running to kick off today's show. During 2020, three times as many marathons were run alone compared to 2019. Last year was also the year of the PB. Among runners active on Strava since at least 2019, 55% logged a new record time in their 5k, 10k, half marathon or marathon distances. Also, between April and September 2020, women aged 18 to 29 uploaded 45% more activities than during the same period the year before, compared to a 27% increase by their male counterparts. Go us women! If you're in any of those groups that make up the stats, then do give yourself a pat on the back. You've earned it. And actually, achieving goals and PBs is the theme of today's show. For new runners, training to reach the finish line of a 5k can feel nothing short of intimidating, especially if you've never run a race before or even a mile before. Or perhaps you're a casual runner who's been circling the same loop for over a year but now, in a wild moment, agreed to run 50 miles with a pal in the next month to raise money for charity. But ever since saying yes, the only thing that has been raised is your heart rate as you stress about going the distance. Well, first off, don't panic. And also trust me on this one, guys. Getting started really is the hardest part of any running challenge. And it's something I can totally sympathise with at the moment. This month, I returned to running after having my little boy and I'm using the Couch to 5k running plan. But boy, getting out on that first run was tough. It wasn't actually the running that I found the hardest, but more getting my head in the game and getting out the door. Full disclosure, in the days leading up to my first run, I did faff about and I did put off getting started. So to save you from the same mental and physical hurdles, I've dialed up two run coaches who have more than 15 years of experience. We talk about the nuts and bolts of achieving running goals in 2021. Later in the show, I follow this call up with a very special run chat with Alyssa Clark, who last year refused to be grounded by lockdown and instead broke the world record for consecutive days running a marathon. I actually recorded this chat shortly after Alyssa completed this awesome challenge and I had all the intentions of releasing the show last spring. However, my little boy threw a few spanners in the works, and so it's only now that I'm able to release the show. But the time delay takes nothing away from her brilliant achievement. So 
keep listening and do, do, do make her your inspiration for putting lockdown 2021 to good use. First up, let's get today's experts on the phone. I'm welcoming back Rory Knight and Omar Mansour, who are experts in season one and are the founders of London running group Track Life London. They're two of the UK's smartest running coaches, and I've had the pleasure of training with them in the past couple of years, and they are just brilliant. As you'll hear, these guys have so much advice to share, so do head to the show notes after the show for all of the links. Rory and Omar, welcome back to Welfare. Good morning, good morning. Hey, Amy, thank you for having us back. I think it's been about two years since we first had you on the show. Obviously, a lot has changed, both in my life and the world. And a lot has changed in the life of runners. I think last year, about 1 million people downloaded Couch to 5K. So all of these runners who have decided to sign up to Couch to 5K or another running goal, perhaps it's a 10K or they've decided to go for that big 26.2 marathon goal this year. Is there any kind of like self-fitness test that these guys should be doing before hitting the streets? Yeah, Amy, I guess there's loads of different tests you could do, but the best one is kind of just knowing your own body. So if you are starting from scratch or maybe you haven't run for many, many months due to the pandemic and all the other challenges, the best way is to literally go out there and see what you can do at a comfortable pace. Now, try not to measure yourself against what you remember yourself running if you were running in the past and just accept where you're at. So if you can run at a comfortable pace for two minutes, five minutes, six minutes, have that as your marker of your first running fitness session. Have a walk, maybe do it again after. And each day, every other day, each session, just try and incrementally build on that fitness. It could be as small as a minute, just adding on to that. And soon enough, within one to two weeks of building a base like that, you will look back and be like, oh, okay, I started, you know, five minutes at a comfortable pace and then I had to stop or walk and now I'm doing 10 to 15. So in terms of like a cardio fitness test, for me, that's the best way just to start again with no pressure, no expectation and just build the fitness from there. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I know, Amy, you get a lot of mothers who have given birth at some point over the last couple of years. And I think this it's going to be especially important for guys like you, because obviously you're not going to go out and run the same half marathon time you did before you had your little boy. So it's just completely taking the taking the pressure off and enjoying the journey. It's actually really interesting that you mentioned about comparing yourself to pre-baby because I've, I'm doing the Couch to 5K at the moment. And last night when I went out for my second run, I actually had to pull my gloves up over my fitness tracker so that I didn't keep checking my pace because obviously it is wildly different to what it was even when I was running pregnant. And obviously that's wildly different to what it was before. And I found that on that first run, I just kept checking how fast I was running and thinking in my head, oh my gosh, I'm three minutes slower per kilometer than what I used to be. And I I still use the fitness tracker because I want to track the runs so that I can celebrate at the end of the week that I managed to fit them in. But I just didn't want that constant reminder of my pace when I was running. I think that's totally understandable. But the exciting thing is, Amy, there are plenty of women that have come back after having children and have run faster and stronger but it does take time again. So that's the kind of exciting journey coming back and the potential of being in an even better position. 
can we chat about what good running form looks and feels like? Because I know there are a lot of people out there who, like you've said, who've probably got poor movement patterns or feel a bit like they're Phoebe from Friends. So can we give them kind of a bit of a checklist for what good running looks and feels like? Go on, Phoebe, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, what I would say is your, your running form, your running technique, how you land and where you land on your foot, it's super unique to you as an individual. So you can look at some of the best runners that have ever roamed this planet. For example, Paula Radcliffe, you know, she does some real weird stuff with her head. And if you was to look in a how to run manual or textbook, it's not going to have, this is an efficient way to move your head. But yet she's one of the fastest women marathon runners ever. Then you've got someone like, Michael Johnson, and obviously if you don't know these guys, please just do a little Google search. But Michael Johnson, American sprinter, a 200 and 400 meter runner, one of the fastest ever again. And he had this like, this crazy, like super upright style with his, his arm drivers really relaxed. And it just looked so different to everyone else. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it right or wrong, but there are certain things that we're going to talk about now that can help any runner. So I'll start from the top and maybe we can go all the way down. We'll look at the shoulders. An often stress response is the shoulders go up, the traps go up in any situation. You can better believe when you're struggling out there, that's going to be a response for a lot of people. So the first thing is just being conscious. Are my shoulders tensed up, especially when I'm in the the later miles of my race or the later bits of my race? Or are they relaxed? If they are tensed up, you're not going to be as efficient moving them. You want them relaxed. A relaxed runner is a fast runner. So just coming down next, I would say arm drive. So your, your shoulders are relaxed. Everyone's arm drive is going to be slightly different. But generally, as a rule, think of think of engaging your upper back muscles. I just saw the guys just sit up really tall there. <laughs> and lean forward slightly from your ankles, but be be nice and tall with your upper body. So nice tall hip position, upper body nice and upright, and your elbows should just be coming back slightly behind your body so you, so you can feel those upper back muscles engage. Next point I would say is about knee drive. Now, like Rory said, knee drive is dependent on sort of how much power you're producing into the ground, but ideally you want to have some sort of knee lift. And often we turn into a little bit of a shuffler when we get tired and we get heavy legs. And again, if you just switch that conscious brain on and say, what are my knees doing? Instantly, it can give you that bounce. It can give you that lift, which means you're going to be faster for every stride that you're producing. So not over accessing it, but just being conscious that my knees are lifting and I'm not just shuffling one leg in front of the other. Yeah, so I'm just going to go slightly, I, I alluded to it a, a little, but just the, the, the hip position. And imagine you're doing a hip similar to hip bridge, but just from a standing position. So just push your hips forward a little more. Because what tends to happen is runners that are maybe not as, as aware, as they get tired, their hips are going to start to fall back. And what happens as the hips fall back, the chest starts to drop and the body starts to collapse. I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to run in a squat position, it's really, really difficult. So you don't want to be in that squat. And I totally know that position when it's like your head feels like it's two foot in front of your booty. And it's like you're just leaving your butt behind and your head is so far in front. And I used to do it and I do it when I get tired. So actually there is having that awareness of being up tall, making sure you're keeping your glutes engaged is a good one. It does make all the difference, guys, because I have been there. Yeah. See, Amy can vouch, vouch for all of this. 
lastly, I guess whatever way you hit the ground, think about landing softly. Okay. If you're thudding and again, when your legs get tired and that brain switches off, you can just plant the leg and just get me to the finish line, slow it down, land softly and cushion that landing because typically it's just going to be less force going through your, your joints, your, your muscles when you're tired. And that can actually prevent injuries in the future. If you think of how much force is going through your joints, through your, your ankles and, and the muscles and the tendons. So land softly, land cushion. But guys, please, can we add, don't do all of those things at once because your brain will just feel so <laughs> tired and you'll probably quit running after that run. So just pick one thing <laughs> and just focus on that one thing. And then once you've mastered that, try another thing. Next, can we talk about common mistakes that you see new runners making? Not really form-wise, but potentially people who have just taken up running, what's the one thing that people always forget to do or that they maybe do, which is maybe sabotaging their initial progress or enjoyment? I would say the main thing is they don't warm up before they go for a run. They literally just whack their trainers on, thinking that by not doing a warm-up, they're helping themselves because they're going to expend less energy. But what you've got to understand is the, the 5, 10, 15 minutes that you spend preparing your body is going to enhance your running experience substantially. It's actually funny that you mentioned warm-ups because I put a call out on Instagram for questions for you guys. And I would say 10% of those questions was, what's the best warm-up to do before running? Do I need to be doing glute activations? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I mean, again, why spend the first mile, you know, warming up your body when you could be ready to go out the door straight away and switched on? So yeah, warm-up is and glute activation, all of that stuff is important regardless of where you're at. But again, just knowing your body. So if I know I'm tight at the hips, before I run, I'm going to spend a bit more time at the hips. But if you're not tight at the hips... You need to know where you are tight or where you need stimulate. And so, again, it's about knowing a bit of your body. You don't have to be an expert coach just to know, okay, I'm getting a, bit, a little bit of pain in my shoulders or my hips and seek that advice and then use that in your warm-up as well. So do your warm-up. If you can, make it specific to you and your areas of need. And then if not, because a lot of people listening in are going to go, that's cool for you guys to say, make it specific to you and what you need because you've got so many years experience. I won't add them together because it'll show your age. <laughs> but what are the kind of like the key exercises for the people that have no idea? For instance, I always do a dead bug before I go out. Is there anything that you guys always give to beginners? And then we could always link as well from the show notes to maybe a video that you guys are going to repost on your channel. Cool. So, so there will be a move that I'm sure most people will be familiar with, and it's called the world's greatest stretch. Another would be a conscious hip bridge. So before this conversation, I actually trained a client on Zoom and I had her doing a, as an activation, it was a glute bridge with her feet on a Swiss ball or an exercise ball. And on the second set, all, all I asked her to do was without changing her body position, Imagine she was squeezing something between her inner thighs and on the next set, her body, I kid you not, was shaking. She was like, oh my God, why is it so much harder? And that was all just from her conscious thought. Visually, the exercise looked exactly the same. She was in the same position. She had the same load, but just that, that mind-muscle connection by moving consciously made all the difference. So I would say a, a glute bridge where you're actually thinking about squeezing that tush. 
a third one to round it off? Yeah, I would say going down into the squat position, but remembering what Rory said, trying to not close the body. So sitting tall with the T-spine and then twisting through. So like you're in a low frog squat. I'm not actually sure the technical name for this. Rory, you, you can add in if you know it. But into the frog squat and then with a T-spine rotation. So extending one arm and twisting. And what you're trying to do is just open that middle of the spine area that gets really locked up from sitting down a lot. So that's one I love to do just to open up the, the mid-spine. So there you go, guys. You've got three options there before you head out on your next run. Don't you dare skip them or I'll get the guys on your case. Isn't that right, guys? We can catch you. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And Amy, even I guess people will be super interested in in what you do and how you feel. Just like, you know, from a from a totally honest perspective, after you've warmed up properly, how, how do you feel when you when you start a run? So I was definitely, definitely guilty of not doing a warm up before I started marathon training a few years ago because I was always in a rush to get a run done. However, when I started marathon training, I realized that I couldn't do that because I had so many runs to get done in my week. And if I skipped warming up properly, then I always really suffered from aches and pains, DOMS, whatever you want to call it. I just felt sore in my body. The other thing I noticed about doing a proper warm up was that I actually connected with what I was doing. For me, a warm up is like this buffer between the thing that you've done before and then your workout, which comes afterwards. I also think I feel less anxious about what's coming up if I warm up properly. So even doing couch to 5k at the moment. So the 5k distance is something which I've run so many times in the past, but right now, because I've had such a big break from running and obviously also pregnancy and labor took such a toll on my body that that 5k distance feels huge. It feels like I'm asking myself to run 50k. And so it's kind of made me quite anxious about it. But by putting myself in kind of like that warm up space where I kind of silence everything else going on and I really connect with what's about to happen and I gradually get my body and my mind ready, I feel much more confident when I then hit start on the workout and I start running. Do you think you're even more conscious of that since since you had a baby in terms of like how you will want to go the extra mile now to prepare your body? because of what it's been through with, you know, childbirth? Yeah, I I do actually. But I also think it's because I've still got some pain just from labour and from being in stirrups. So I do have a really sore hip. And I also think that when you have been through injury, you know, whether that's a running injury or something else, you're so scared of doing more damage that it does give you a different awareness. Whereas before it was always kind of just like my ego or my eagerness to achieve a running goal that made me push through. Now I've kind of managed to keep that in tap a bit more, keep that in check. But yes. <laughs> yes, in short, yes. <laughs> in short. God, can I still say baby brain? Um, yes, I do totally. have, I have, a new, I have a new respect and I have a new awareness and also I really, really don't want to make myself feel any more exhausted or any more sore. So yeah, I am playing by the rules a bit better. Yeah. Amazing. Because like to me, we, we should be training to make ourselves feel better. Right. So Mm. I don't know why so many people 
feel like they need to punish themselves during their training sessions. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be what it's about. No one should be dreading going for a run or going and doing a, a hit workout or a stretch session. Learn to be kind to ourselves and enjoy the process. And actually, being kind is something I wanted to talk about because last year during lockdown, there was a lot of fitness streak challenges which came up. And I think it was in reaction to people having their freedom taken away. So they felt like that they needed to focus on their fitness. It was the one thing that they could do. There was a lot of like pull-up challenges or 30-day squat challenges and obviously a lot of running challenges. But then I also saw these people fall victim to injury or not all of them, but a few of them. Do you guys have any advice for these people who are signing up to these fitness streaks, run streaks, and how that they can do them while still being kind on their bodies? Because I had a few questions on Instagram saying, is it okay to run every day? Can I do my run day followed by my strength training day? Or do I need a rest day in between? What's your kind of thoughts? Again, this is where it's super, super important to get to know your own body. and. If like you're already going, yeah, but what does that mean? You you have to you have to learn this yourself. As we spoke earlier in this conversation, there isn't that one size fits all approach. I think as well, your external world as well takes an impact on how you recover. There's a lot of factors going around right now for our mental health. There's a lot of anxiety in our bodies. There's all these other things that can drain our batteries. So that can affect your recovery as well. I, w- I would say focus a little bit more on sleep, nutrition, you know, lower stress levels. That those sort of things that are going to help you recover quicker so you can train more and more frequent. If I had to give our listeners a starting point for beginners, I would say go out for a run, follow that by a rest day. It's a safe way to start. No one's going to get as injured as if you, you know, keep plowing out the training. If you're intermediate level, you can maybe try two steady sessions back to back followed by a rest day. I know when I used to train with the high level elite athletes who are competing now, my coach would give us three days on one day off. So even the top guys will usually follow three to four days with a rest or recovery session. So there you go, guys. That is your ticket to sit on the sofa for a day and binge watch Bridgerton on Netflix. One of the things that I wanted to ask you guys about was um, this year's marathon runners. So normally we are in marathon training season right now for the spring marathons. And obviously due to what's going on in the world, a lot of the marathons have been pushed back to the autumn. If they've never run a marathon before, but they're going to do one in autumn, would you suggest that they start on a marathon training plan now and then dial back? the mileage before doing an actual marathon or how do you think that they should build up to that kind of big mileage if they're not already running like 20 miles at the moment if i'm totally honest amy i would say save the marathon plan for you know that that main journey let's not think too far beyond let's start with a 5k plan could be four to eight weeks get that feel good about the 5k and then go from there 10k half marathon and by the time you practice those plans you could even move through the ranks and be like marathon level ready by going through the plans. And we have, you know, on our Track Life website, not, not trying to plug anything, but we take our, our runners through 5K plans, 10K plans, half marathon plans, because we understand the journey that a marathon is a big beast, you know, so just to go to it straight away can be quite daunting. And just, just remember that being faster over 5K is definitely going to help your marathon time. As long as you're, when it comes to your marathon plan, you're then getting your, getting your long runs in and your you know, recovering the way you should, 
being faster over those shorter distances is going to help you over a marathon as well. Guys, I can't believe that we are nearly coming to the end of our time together. I've got a load of quick fire questions to do with different training goals for the year, which I am going to put to you guys. So are you warmed up? Are you ready? Yeah, I need some stretching quickly. Just need to activate my glutes. One sec. <laughs> so can I have a top tip for the 5K runners from both of you? Do more speed work with Track Life London. And you can find some great examples on our Instagram page. Boom. I would say add some strength and conditioning to your routine. Start with body weight in your house and then maybe purchase some resistance along the way. And how about runners that are going from a 5k to a 10k? What's your top tip for nailing the 10k distance? I would say be brave. First of all, it is a nasty distance. Secondly, focus on that endurance because it is double the distance. Hey, don't be don't be scaring the guys, you know. Nasty. <laughs> guys, it's not that nasty. It's okay, it's okay. You'd be surprised. It is double the distance, but before you know it, you'll have run your fastest 10K and you'll be thinking to yourself, what was I worried about? So I'm just going to say, you've got this. And how about a tip for half marathon runners from both of you? I would say as, as the distance increases, so as we start to move into half marathon and marathon territory, ensure you prioritise your long runs And do not worry so much about the pace that you run at. Actually, that is a good one because I remember when you guys did my half marathon plan, there wasn't really times on there. It was more about how it felt. So I remember doing my long runs and it was keeping it at, I think it was about, was it about 60, 70%? But you were essentially saying, don't go out there and make it feel 90% on a long run. Keep it feeling steady and manageable. Yeah, exactly. So every, every session should have a purpose. And the purpose of a long run is to accumulate mileage within your legs. Whereas if you look at a speed session, the purpose is to tap into those additional gears. So it's, yeah, try, trying to marry that up. So there you go, guys. Keep the ego in check and the pace steady. And lastly, guys, one thing for new marathon runners. I would say incrementally build, okay? And I mean that in the most gradual way I can, okay? So a lot of people go too fast, too hard, and again, structurally can break down. A lot of marathon runners get injured due to going a little bit too hard too soon. So do like a push-pull mechanism try a little bit out and then pull it back a little bit, let your, t- your body recover and then go again. So really gradual, gradual, gradual uh, increase in the mileage. Guys, thank you so much for all of that advice and all of the amazing expert tips and comments that you've given throughout the show. I can't wait to hear and hopefully see all the Wellfire listeners put it into practice. They do love using the hashtag Wellfire in their running journey. So hopefully we're going to see the guys um, putting that into practice. It's time for me to say goodbye to you guys. But before I do, can you just share where is the best place for the listeners to follow you and to get in touch if they have any more running questions? For sure. Our website is www.tracklifelondon.com. And we've got all of our live sessions when we're not in lockdown on that page. You've got plans to buy and you've got a little bit about us uh, as coaches So yeah, you can also find us on Instagram at track underscore life underscore LDN, where yeah, we put up running content and information about our live sessions. And we've got some very exciting plans heading forward into 2021. So yeah, we'd love you guys to to become a part of our community as well. So we can 
make each other faster, fitter, stronger going into 2021 and beyond. These two really helped me in my marathon and my half marathon training. So do go over and join them and check out their plans. And if not, just say hi. We're always up for a hi. Amy, thank you for having us. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I really hope you enjoyed that chat with two of my favorite coaches. Running really is very personal and what you want to achieve is totally up to you. Not everyone needs to have a 5k or a marathon goal but if you do then I hope their advice will help you refocus so that you can put your efforts into the places that will bring you more joy from your runs. And on the topic of bringing more joy to the everyday run it's now time for my chat with Alyssa Clark who became a Guinness World Record holder after running an entire marathon for an astonishing 95 days in a row after she refused to let COVID curtail her cardio. As mentioned earlier, this chat was recorded back in 2020, so bear that in mind when listening to the references about the global pandemic. Over to Alyssa to share her awesome story. Thanks for having me, Amy. I mean... 95 marathons in 95 days. It's just it's just mind-blowing. I can't believe you've managed to do that. Honestly, I am also a bit surprised. So let's start at the beginning. It sounds like, like running is your coping mechanism when things are tough. Has that always been the case? When did you catch the running bug? It's definitely been a coping mechanism. It started when I was probably about 10 that it really became something that I used as a stress relief. Like running is my freedom. And so it just, it allows me to kind of escape and think things through and put things into perspective. I'm always intrigued. Did you grow up within a family that runs? Like, did you have parents who were runners and that made you want to go out and run with your problems? Or was it a case of that you saw somebody on TV and that inspired you? What was your motivation there? Yeah, so I come from a very endurance sport-based family. So my dad was a triathlete and a marathoner, and my mom was a cross-country skier. She's biked across the U.S. She's biked across Europe a couple of times. And so I grew up in a family where our vacations were always centered around hiking and biking and running. So it really, that, that was the model that was presented to me. And I knew 
that it was a fantastic way to see the world on your own two feet. And so, you know, many of my running adventures in middle and high school, I was with my mom or I was with my dad or my brother and sister doing that. So it's definitely been a part of the culture of my family and my upbringing for a long time. It's much easier, isn't it, when it, when that's the case? Because I think for some people who haven't grown up around a daily active life, to find it in adulthood is actually completely foreign and takes such effort. Whereas if you grow up in a family where just getting outside and moving is just what you do, it's just ingrained in you. Absolutely. I honestly have so much respect for people who pick up athletics in their adulthood because for someone to make a very conscious decision to start becoming an athlete at an older age where it's much harder, I have tons of respect for that. And you have this mantra that I've seen on your Instagram and it's one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one step at a time, we keep moving forward. Where did that come from? You know, it's funny how that became a mantra and it was really kind of, I was just coming up with my first Instagram post and I thought, oh, I should try to break it down because that's how I break down the marathons in my mind. And it just kind of became this routine. And I thought also too, with being in lockdown, being in quarantine, and it is that it's so overwhelming to think about the whole entity of time. You know, we don't know how long we're going to be in here. It keeps getting extended. And so instead of focusing on how long it's been, how long we have to go, just focusing on what you can do right now and making that the priority was was kind of where I was going with that. Uh, and it, it really helped me not to get overwhelmed by the enormity of what the world was going through and, and how different life is and was. Yeah. I love it because I think us runners can sometimes fall victim to our own obsession with having control. So like we normally have control over our training plans and what we're trying to achieve and all of those type of things. And then suddenly when that's taken away from you and a lot of the time it's through injury or some kind of life event or not normally a pandemic, it sends us in a tailspin, doesn't it? And we and we can often have like a bit of a meltdown because suddenly we can't make our own decisions and you know we're not we're not doing what we wanted to do. Whereas if we actually just pause and then start on our journey again one step at a time, like you've said, it means that we can still move forward just in a different way. Absolutely. And I really do think the marathons were me also trying to find something that I could control and something that gave me structure within my day. I wasn't really working too much at the time. And so the marathons gave structure, they gave a routine. This is what I do every day. And so I think that I kind of set myself parameters by doing these marathons. So let's talk about those marathons. So you started your marathon streak when you couldn't go outside. You've mentioned that you started doing them on your treadmill. Yes. <laughs> Had you ever run a marathon on a treadmill before? So I did a marathon once before on a treadmill, but 
the first marathon I ran on March 31st was the second treadmill marathon I'd ever done. And how did you approach it? Did you did you load your phone up with things to watch or was it that you put on a good playlist or are you just somebody who zones out and just kind of chips away at the miles? So a lot of Netflix watching. Oh, did you? <laughs> I, yeah, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I had a little iPad that I Velcroed to the treadmill. So definitely a lot of Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime and a lot of running videos on YouTube. And then I would also break it up in snacks. So I would have a snack about eight miles in and then maybe again at half marathon and then one more at mile 20. And that actually changed. Actually, the further I got into the marathons, the less I needed to eat during the marathons. So I can pretty much run a marathon now on one Gatorade. Wow. Yeah, it's a really interesting adaptation that's come along. But back at the beginning, I ate more during the marathons. And that was a way that I could mentally break up the mileage. And it gave me something to look forward to of, oh, I get my fun snack at, (laughs) you know, 13 miles. And then I'm halfway. So yeah, I never went into it thinking about the whole marathon because that could feel really defeating if I started the treadmill and thought, oh my goodness, I have 26.2 miles to do. And so I didn't think past, okay, the first six, great, I'm six miles in. And then, oh, well, here's kind of the middle-ish miles, but hey, I'm at 10. I'm only three away from 13. Wow, I'm halfway. Well, halfway, it gets pretty close to 16, and then you only have 10 miles left. So it's just kind of this mental game of almost cheerleading yourself. I love what you've just said there when you said it's cheerleading yourself through. Yeah. (laughs) I really tried not to get down on myself if the miles weren't going quickly, but rather build myself up on hitting goals and making progress. So I think that that was actually a really critical part of it that I didn't realize I was doing until a little bit in. Is that a skill which you've learned or is it something which you've trained yourself into? Because I think a lot of the time we're so quick to talk negatively to ourselves and it's just more like human instinct than actually being our own cheerleader. Yeah, you know, I think it's honestly one of the traits that I am excited about coming off of this is that I think that I was okay at it before. I don't think I was the best at staying positive and cheerleading myself. But I think through these marathons, I worked on that a lot. Again, not even necessarily consciously, but just to stay positive on it, that I think that that's a mental skill I'm really excited to have worked on and bring into the future because I can get very negative in races if they aren't going the way that I want them to. And in ultras, anything can happen because they're just so long. And so I'm excited to take the mental practices I picked up during these marathons and apply them now to ultra racing. I mean, you're going to be unstoppable. (laughs) And did it feel different on your body? Because obviously running on a treadmill 
is a different experience to being outside and you'd you'd just run about 30 marathons or something on a treadmill before getting outside was it tough it is a lot different so i will say there are quite a lot of benefits of running on a treadmill in that you are in a very controlled temperature environment you have all your food your water right there a bathroom right there you're not carrying anything it is a bit softer but it can really, especially for women, it can really start locking your hips up. It can be pretty difficult on your hip joints, which actually didn't happen to me at the beginning. Right now where I live is in Florida and it's incredibly hot out. And so I would run inside a few times and my hips really started bothering me towards the end. But outside, it, I mean, you definitely have, you're dealing with heat, you're dealing with the wind, you're figuring out how much water do I carry, you know, doing a loop or going out and back bathroom. You know, there, there's definitely a lot of factors outside that can make it more challenging, but it's also really nice to have that change of scenery to kind of go adventure a little bit. So there's a lot of, a lot of benefits to both, but definitely a lot different. If you had to choose one, what would it be? Oh, outside for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you. I think back to when I was doing my first marathon training and we had a really snowy winter in London and I ended up doing a half marathon in my training on on a treadmill. And at the time I wasn't used to running distance, so that was the longest I'd run in that training cycle. And I just remember being on that treadmill running this half marathon and just thinking, my God, this is actually so much tougher mentally than it is physically and it was my mind that just kept telling me to to get off the treadmill when my body was totally fine it was tough it is and it it's funny because people would probably think I ran a lot on the treadmill before really didn't mind it and that's not true I hated the treadmill but I think again it's kind of shifting the mindset of this is a tool designed to cause me to hate running, you know, like a lot of my friends call it the treadmill, which it's not a lot of fun in many ways, but when you're, when the alternative is not running at all, it becomes a gift. So here's this opportunity where not a lot of people have a treadmill. We happen to have one someone gave us for free a while ago that my husband rewired. And so I looked at it as I'm so lucky I have this, not, I can't believe I have to be on here. And again, most people in their lives are not restricted from running or walking outside. That, that is an extreme situation. So hopefully no one ever has to gain that perspective again. But it definitely shifted my mindset towards the treadmill of being thankful for it as opposed to thinking, oh my goodness, I hate this thing. <laughs> you, you're now best buds or at least you've got a respect for each other. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Was there any part in this challenge when you thought, this is so tough, I'm going to give up? So actually, quite early on when my body wasn't used to the miles, I, I went through a period, marathon number four was horrible. I actually... Had a, I had to call a friend while I was running it and he just talked me through and said, don't give up. <laughs> Stop, like, you're fine. It's going to be okay. 
and then I remember marathon like 18, 19 was also very difficult because I wasn't quite in the groove of running the marathons. And I also was swelling really badly. So I tend to swell when my body is like after ultras and things like that. And so my legs were just very swollen. My body wasn't adjusted to the demand of it. And so I remember it being really difficult of kind of watching my body do things that I I knew that like it wasn't that I was injured or I was being unsafe. It was just adjusting to this effort. And I didn't always really like what it was doing. <laughs> so I was it was just a mental battle to allow my body to adjust to it and not get angry or not get upset. Because putting on weight while you're running a marathon every day is really a mental battle. It's a strain. You never thought that think that's going to be the situation. And it was just swelling. It wasn't that there was anything wrong, but it took a little while to be like, it's okay. It's going to get back to normal. So by 30, it was so used to running marathons that I was totally fine. All the swelling went down. That was definitely a hard time. And then kind of in the, the mid thirties where I wasn't really close to 50 I was just kind of in the doldrums is what I called it. That was quite hard. <laughs> like, I don't have any big number to celebrate. I just kind of have to keep pushing through this. Yeah. So those are kind of the, the harder sections. And when your body was swelling up, are you quite good at noticing and making changes to your running? So potentially slowing down or are you somebody who just goes, I just need to run through this? I think I may have slowed down a little bit, but I mean, I was definitely monitoring it of making sure I wasn't doing any damage. I didn't feel injured or anything. It was just kind of a natural reaction that my body has and it does it at every single ultra. So I know it does it. It's just, I don't like it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, just have to mentally say to myself, it's okay. You know, this happens. You're fine. Because until you retired at 95 days, which we're going to come on to, you hadn't actually suffered any physical health issues, had you? And even though running is often associated with like leg and back injuries, those type of things, you didn't suffer from any of it apart from the swelling. Like, how do you think you managed to do that? You know, I think it just comes from years of being an endurance athlete. I've, I, I generally run 80 to 100 miles a week. Um, that's my normal training. And I've been doing this since I was in middle of high school. So I think my body is very good at holding up with high mileage. I'm just a high mileage runner. If I throw in a lot of speed work, that's where I start moving towards injury. So I have to be careful with that. But my body seems to adjust and like high mileage. So that's, you know, I think something that's pretty specific to me. And I'm really thankful for that. But then if I'm trying to run a sub three hour marathon or something like that, where I have to do a lot of speed work, I could see myself getting injured or having more problems with that. So I think it's just a lot of knowing your body and knowing how it reacts to different situations. And luckily, my body 
adapted quite well to this challenge. You know, if, if it had been, you have to run every marathon below 320 or 330, it might have been a different story. Did you actually put any kind of like time goals on your daily marathons or did you just go out to run them and then just clock your times at the end? Yeah, I, I never really put a time goal on it. It kind of came about that I was running very consistently between about a 405 and a 415. I mean, I had several marathons back to back to back that were within seconds of each other. Um, wow. which it's just funny how your body finds a natural rhythm. And that, that was where I was comfortable was within that, that kind of 10 minute range. So kind of nuts how that happened. Yeah. And at what point did you decide to chase the world record for the most marathons run consecutively? That was probably around 24 or 25. You know, I'd looked it up previously and thought there's no way I'm running marathons for two months. That is ridiculous. <laughs> then I kind of settled into it and I talked to my husband and he said, yeah, I knew you were going to want to do that. So, <laughs> so something I do want to say, there is a Danish woman, Anita Fredskop, who is said to have run 366 marathons in 365 days, which I did not know about her. I Googled and Googled this record, but she did not come up. So I am submitting everything to Guinness in hopes that mine will become the official world record. But I do absolutely want to acknowledge Anita as I think the unofficial record. You know, I can't confirm her marathons, but it would be against my character not to acknowledge her efforts as well. Wow. So, I mean, does that make you want to do it all again to, to go for a whole year or are you, are you done now? I'm good for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and, you know, it's, it's funny too because I, I didn't start this as I'm going to go after a record of any kind. It just kept evolving and I kept, my body kept saying yes. So, you know, whether it becomes official, whether it's not a world record, maybe it's just an American record, you know, I'm thrilled with what I was able to do and hopefully the people I've been able to inspire to go out and find their own challenges. And so, you know, if it becomes an official record, that's really just the icing on top. It was never really about that. And so I'm thankful for every part of this journey. Aww. Can we talk about the moment when you went, because you were in such a positive place, despite the fact that I know you said that you weren't trying to hit a number, but there was a part on your journey when you kind of had that 100 marathons in sight and, and that's what you were running towards. And, you know, unfortunately you pulled out at 95 because of health issues. How did you feel about finishing early when you were only five away from your 100 goal? I was definitely sad. So basically what happened is, unfortunately, we moved to Florida, which is a hotbed right now in the U.S. for COVID cases. And so I said from the beginning of this journey that I would stop. I would not continue if 
my health or the health of others went into jeopardy or I felt that I was making a decision that was selfish in a time where we can't be selfish. And so I started feeling quite ill, just having some fevers and and being pretty nauseous at around marathon 91, 92. My chest started hurting. I started coughing a lot more and I just went, this isn't, this goes against what I set out to do by continuing of potentially putting myself at risk, others at risk. And so I did make the decision to stop. (laughs) I was sad that day because I did want to get to 100. There were plans um, put together by friends, some media that was going to be there for the 100th. But having that gathering would have been detrimental. If I do have COVID, I'm, I'm still waiting for the results. And it just, it felt like I was putting unnecessary risk on an endeavor that, you know, I didn't start the journey saying I'm going to run a hundred marathons in a hundred days. It kind of became the number after I surpassed. So I thought it was going to be 65. I thought it was going to be 75. And then a hundred was just this, it's a nice number. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, three digits. That sounds nice. So yeah, it just, it, it needed to come to an end at some point because I do have races in the fall. I, you know, I, I wanted to start training on trails more and everything. So yes, absolutely. I was disappointed. I was in tears some of that day, but I never thought I'd get this far. So I'm proud of that effort. I think that's something that all of us runners can take away and learn from this chat is that you know, to recognize that you never thought you were going to get that far and you did. And actually, it's still a PB. It might not be the one that you, you know, you had in your mind at one point, but you've, you've achieved something amazing. And so take that away from the experience. Absolutely. I mean, 100 is just another number as 95 is, as 98 is. And so, you know, celebrate all of that and celebrate what you've achieved rather than be sad. Uh, The only thing I was sad about is I wanted to end on my terms and that wasn't my terms, but you know, it's okay. (laughs) And that is frustrating, isn't it? But it makes you mentally stronger. It does. I think one of the things that your amazing marathon challenge has shown that you're good at is not skipping a run. And I know that you even managed to move house and move countries while you were doing this challenge. So what's your secret to not skipping runs? My secret is just every day committing. So every day saying I'm going to do this. And what I do before every run the night before, actually one of the runs was during the night. I ran a marathon at one in the morning on a German military base when we were en route to the U.S. But yeah, so basically what I do is every night before I run, I have my kit ready. So I set my shorts out, my shirt out, my compression sleeves. Then I make sure my water bottles are filled. They're in my pack. And then I have all my food in there. So I try to remove as many barriers that could possibly come up 
and you're good to go. Can we just circle back to what you just mentioned? So you just mentioned that you ran a marathon at 1am on an Air Force base. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because a lot of people ask, what was your hardest marathon? And that actually wasn't because it was so strange and I will never forget it. But yeah, so we were trying to move back to the United States because my husband's work required us to be back by a certain time. We were scheduled to fly on a cargo plane with the U.S. military. So I ran a marathon in Italy the morning of our flight. We then flew to Germany where we spent the night. We didn't get into Germany until about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And we had to be back to our flight by 9.30 a.m. the next day. And I have been consistent on running speed for these marathons, but I thought tonight's going to be the night where I mess it up and it takes me seven hours (laughs) or something strange. So my policy was that I was staying on Italian time for consecutive days. So I had to start after midnight and then we're six hours ahead in the U.S., so I have to finish every marathon before 6 p.m., which would be midnight, Naples time. And I was kind of riled up because, you know, when you, you have something, you don't want to miss your alarm, you don't want to mess it up, you kind of can't really sleep. So I went to bed at 11 and woke up at 12.45, and I was going to try to sleep until 2.30, but I just went, oh, I'm just going to lie in bed and worry about this, so I'm just going to get up and run. And I was talking to a friend when I started the marathon. I just said, I don't know whether to laugh or cry because this is weird. <laughs> so I had someone meet me at 4.15 in the morning to run part of it with me, which was crazy, but awesome. And so, yeah, that, that was a strange one. And then we, I finished, slept for like an hour or two, and then got on the plane and didn't get to the U.S. until... So from waking up until we got to the U.S. was like 30, 35 hours. So it was a crazy series of events. Honestly, your mental fortitude is something to be admired. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) And so, Alyssa, before we go, can I just ask you to share one piece of advice with the welfare listeners? It could be something to do with running technique or a tip or it could be one of your amazing like cheerleading peppy talks but just something that you can leave the welfare community with that will help their own running sure so actually one of my favorite pieces of advice is from a british running legend nikki spinks she says that if you think something three times during a run you need to act on it So if you think, I need to tighten my shoe, I need to eat something, I need to drink something, if you think that three times, it means that you need to do it. (laughs) Because oftentimes, um, especially in longer races, you think, I'll deal with it later. Well, later often becomes problematic because that small problem is now huge. Now you have a blister because you didn't fix your shoe or you bumped because you didn't eat. And so throughout these marathons, what I realized is that I had to take care of things before they became serious problems. And that was hugely important to the consistency aspect of it as well. So that's 
one of my favorite pieces of advice. And I'm really glad that she came up with that. I love that. And I've loved chatting to you today. It's been just amazing to see what you can achieve when you really, really put your mind to it. So well done you. And I will be rooting for you and really hoping that you do get your official world record through. And if you don't, like you said, it's still an unbelievable achievement. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) No, it is. I mean, the only thing that I did during those 100 days when you were running a marathon was get better at snacking. So, you know. You know, I think during this time, whatever makes you happy is exactly what you should be doing. So if snacking makes you, I love snacking too, so I applaud that as well. I know there's going to be so many people listening in to this podcast that are going to want to now hop on to your Instagram. Where is the best place that um, the Wildfire listeners can start stalking your running journey? Sure. So I'm most active on Instagram and that is theory underscore in underscore motion. And I try to respond to every person that messages me. So if you have any questions, please feel free to message me. I am also on Strava. There, If you're following the marathons, Strava did not upload correctly a few times. So if you want every bit of data, you can also follow me on Garmin Connect. That has everything perfectly laid out. All the platforms. <laughs> yes, yes. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Welfare and dialing in from the US. It's been such a great chat. And thank you to everyone who has listened into this chat. Please, please do go and give Alyssa a follow. Give her a high five and a congratulations for her achievements. And I will speak to you guys all next week. team thank you so much for listening if you like this episode please do rate review and subscribe it really helps other runners in need of some help find the show and join our community too don't forget to use hashtag welfare on all your ig posts because i love seeing them thanks very much guys up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com